Welcome, welcome, welcome to Nodes in the Net, a weekly tangential irreverent conversation that caters to the interests of liminal trickster mystics like you, and like Layman Pascal. Our guest today is the author of one of my absolute favorite substacks, a genius commenter on metamodernism. Uh, you know, reading from his own self-description, he responds to questions on post-metaphysics, non-duality, metamodernism, integral meta-theory, new shamanism, the future of religion, developmental philosophy, and meta-progressive politics, usually through a decoy topic, he says. And uh, just scrolling slightly down the page, you'll get an example of that wonderful essay that you should read called Why Not Have Sex with a Chicken? Uh, so if you need your philosophical quandaries resolved uh, by someone who's not afraid to take the irreverent tack of examining the lo- logistical and logical reasons to not have sex with a chicken, uh, I think this is the exact person that you need to go sign up to read. Uh, Lehman Pascal is a genius, one of the smartest people I've ever talked to in real life, inside or outside of the podcast. He, he literally blew my mind with his mastery and wizardry with words. It was uh, an experience of sitting on the edge of my seat the entire time we were talking and really like churning through and uh, doing like physical exercise, enjoying the wonderful tapestry of language that Layman is able to create. It is a fantastic episode, one in which I encountered someone from the metamodern scene who just reinforced and validated a lot of the thinking that I've been doing sort of off in my own little liminal, uh, you know, backwater. I guess uh, that's what the Creek Mason Discord is like in a way. Uh, we're, we're sort of figuring things out for ourselves. The brilliant, beautiful, amazing people like Layman Pascal are already writing about uh, in, in a way that is well beyond the intelligence level of me (laughs) or my writing. Uh, So I do uh, want to get directly to this episode. Uh, But before we get there, I'm going to read a little bit from the Creek Mason Substack and our most recent post up there, uh, which of course you can find by going to creekmasons.substack.com, is about lunar lunacy, which of course is the Creek Mason Creative Coven's group art project. Uh, This is you know, the the sort of poetry contest that we hold every month. Uh, you know, when the moon is full, everybody submits their poems and we give each other feedback and we, uh, you know, grow a little and, and develop as a community. And the topic of the most recent Lunar Lunacy is holding on to empathy in a world that rewards psychopaths. Uh, so this it kind of was somewhat inspired by Duncan Trussell's latest audiobook with Raghu Marcus, uh, in which I think the very first chapter, uh, the pair of them discuss the idea that uh, it's pretty much impossible to have radical inclusion in a world where there are people who are like pyromaniacs, you know, like who, who genuinely, generally and genuinely seem to get off on starting fires, on creating destruction, and and not in a positive, generative way, uh, like sweeping out the old to prepare for something more beautiful, but in a legitimate, like, malicious way. <laughs> there, there are people out there who it's hard to practice radical inclusion with because they are... Uh, just potentially not not aligned with the same objectives that that you are. Um, you know, I, of course, the myth of pure evil is is something that we could talk about endlessly about you know the reality that all too often we envision the other side of a conflict as evil, even though they're motivated by the same kinds of fears and and desires and objectives as we are. Everybody wants a better world for their kid, and they want you know this, that, and the other, but. There are, you know, despite that being a realistic rule across 95% of situations, the rule being that there is no authentic, irredeemable evil in the world, 
uh, there is that 5% of situations where uh, the person involved, it like genuinely does wish harm on others. And, uh, and there's no other explanation for their actions. Uh, they, the, it is like an irredeemable, you know, quality of, of certain individuals due to trauma or genetics or whatever combination of things. Uh, and, and so as the Creek Masons, uh, you know, butted our heads against this topic online in the Creek Mason Discord server, uh, we decided that we'd like to explore it a little bit more deeply uh, by making poetry about it. Uh, so I'm going to read you uh, one of the examples, uh, which is my poem. And this is called Making Moonwater with Strangers. I came to understand that awareness is the subtlest form of love. Without any doing required, awareness seemed to welcome me exactly as I was and welcome life exactly as it was. The Luminous Darkness, Deborah Eden Tull. The idea is, I'll bask in a sauna, steamed up with water, lit with vibrations I collect from the moon. My own do-nothing magic ritual, years in the making, conceived to counterbalance trying, driving, striving with surrender and receptivity, conceived, then postponed, one full moon following another. I delayed, uncertain of how to structure the ritual, to gather the moonlight, to absorb or even approach the primal awareness that is the universes, the moons, all mothers' unconditional, irrepressible love. I know that love through two sanghas. The first is the one that gave me the idea for this ritual, nurtured it, and finally codified it for tonight's full moon. The liminal trickster mystics thumb-tapping their glowing dopamine rectangles and somehow using them for absorbing and spreading light instead of slaving away to density. The second is the one in the dark, the sangha of pedestrians and sleeping suburbanites of my physical community. The writhing sacks of tubes in our drywall and metal-framed cells. The sangha that doesn't know that it's mine and maybe wouldn't care if I shook it, screaming, We belong to each other! Unless it got some public freakout YouTube views. I couldn't do it without both sanghas, the light and the dark. The light for inspiration, the dark for location. Both are absolutely necessary for the wholeness that makes the experience of unconditional love even possible. I try to remember this as I walk pajamaed, barefooted, from my front door to my car to carefully place my mason jar on its roof. My thoughts are on the placement of street lamps and driveways and thoroughfares, and whether it's possible my little attempt to collect the universe's love can be carried off undiscovered, unperturbed, without sabotage or some kind of scheme of self-serving cynicism I can't really predict or envision, but still vaguely expect. I decide to trust the dark. What else is there to love? What else is there to love? What else is there to love? And hope to find bottled light in the morning. All right, thanks for joining me along that diversion. And if you'd like to participate in the Lunar Lunacy Creative Coven and possibly have your poem featured on the Creek Mason substack uh, with your full express permission, uh, then please do join us on the Creek Mason Discord. Uh, did I already say that? You can find a way to uh, you know log in there by going to creekmasons.substack.com. Click on the Initiate Yourself link at the top banner, and we'll welcome you to your culty family uh, that has been waiting far too long for you uh, to join us. We, we miss you. Please come home. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's jump in to this episode with the wonderful, beautiful, brilliant, and hilarious Layman Pascal. 
Hello, Layman. Hey, man. Hey, how's it going? Uh, probably better than anyone's ever been. Ooh, that's a that's a good answer. <laughs> it it's it sort of smacks of like another day in paradise, which I think is uh, kind of an ironic way to say that you're suffering horribly. Mm-hmm. I. Uh... I mean, it's so boring when people say they're fine. So it'd be awesome to set like a really high bar. Also, I've got a like an inner condition that I refer to as like the pills talking or something like that, which might be the result of my inner practices, but feels pretty damn good to be me. But also, I want to retain skepticism about that condition. So uh, <laughs> it, should, it should sound a little dubious. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah. I think that that's like a, a very uh, like liminal thing to do, like simultaneously like claim your attainments, you know, especially, I mean, I've, I've also experienced through, you know, consistent meditation that like nice jonic, you know, uh, they call it chronic happiness that, that can be really nice to sink into, but that like maintaining the skepticism is also, I think, really important. It, uh, I think so too. I think it's part of the new sincere irony culture, but it's also like a smarter, safer way to go about doing this because as much as, and I know a bunch of old school spiritual teachers and they're always a little bit unsure about how we're doing it at say the metamodern spirituality retreat or something like that. And they're like, oh, are you guys really doing it? Cause you're doing this phrasing and why would you put God in brackets? I'm like, no, this is so much better. You get to have all the experiences, but you don't get caught in any of the thinking systems around them. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I love that. It's, it's almost like a prophylactic or something. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to actually, I wanted to, you know, start with metamodernism because I know a lot of the like Creek Masons that I've talked to feel like an instant sort of like sacral pull toward the word. Um, but also, you know, it, everybody wants to be the the newest thing, but some people might not know exactly what that is. And so in, in one of your essays, you described it as... Um, where is it? So I, I'm used to thinking of it as a type of specific, you know, post postmodern art. And so like, you know, Bo Burnham is the, the first example that you give sure. in this uh, essay on, on the Barbie movie, which I think is also another good example. And, um, and so like that feels like kind of intuitive to me, the sincere irony and, and things like that. But this other definition that you've got, which I'm just going to read word for word and hopefully you can help me break it down. And then I do, I I, want to like get into the terror. I want to get into the meta modern business bureau, but I think this is a good place to ground us to start. Uh, So the definition that you've given is a general form of emerging trans pluralistic depth oriented consciousness. Ooh, (laughs) can you say more about that? (laughs) Yeah, those are some good words. They Um, are good words. Yeah, so we're looking at this idea that, yes, everybody wants to be on the new thing, and that'll always change. And whatever we're calling it, we might well call it something different in a few years. I think we're we're dealing with the kind of people who are oriented toward a functional reality and not really about the terms, just the terms are fun to play with. Um, There's this notion that modernity invents this wonderful system of efficiency and progress and this sort of post-traditional system of meaning-making, which does a lot of great things, but has a lot of accumulating problems and dubious assumptions in the background. So then Mm. people come up in this system, especially people with uh, electronic tools reshaping their brains, and they look at it, they're like, Mm. "Mm, you're leaving a lot of shit out, you're leaving a lot of people out, you're ignoring the plurality of sense-making, maybe even the plurality of the cosmos, all this kind of stuff. You've got to take multi-perspectival reality into account. But the danger there that even Nietzsche was talking about in like 1860 is you run into nihilism. You run into like a relativism that leads you to a flat, meaningless world because nobody can say what any meaning is because it's all just from a perspective. So when you come up in a world that's already got that pretty well established, then what do you Mm -hmm. do? 
You have to sort of take that on board. That's where we are. There's a lot of reasons for it, but you can't cease to be a really authentic embodied being. That has to be your goal. You want to really have your feelings. You want to really have the integrity of your own perspective. So mm. the struggle begins to try to bring the plurality into a coherence without losing any of the things we gained from the multiplicity of it. And there's been a number of different attempts to do that in philosophy, like Ken Wilber and the Integral Movement is one mm -hmm. that people point to a lot that I have some background in. There's a whole mm -hmm. bunch. Metamodernism, I think, names the sort of general space of trying to do that in culture at the moment. It right, came out of mm. a lot of art theory, but people like Hansi added more sociopolitical theory to it. Right. There's several different schools now. I think Integral brings a good system of explanation. But metamodernism is like the open clearing where people can compete to see what this new mood is going to be like as it's expressed in art, as it's expressed in community, as it's expressed in different ways of relating to our feelings and that kind of stuff. Yeah, wonderful. Sign me up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was I was right to uh, intuit that I wanted to belong in that movement. It, it, so... Uh, Depth oriented is another uh, phrase that I, I kind of sensed uh, could could be expanded on more in the definition that you just gave. Sure, um, there's a couple different ways to come at that. The theory builder people will say things like well, a vertical dimension is reintroduced. You want to go like, how do we take all these different perspectives and honor them, but also put them together in a single picture? Well, you might need another, at least one more axis. Right? Oh. Might need something like unfolding degrees of understanding and apprehension. Uh, because Wonderful. maybe people are using the same contents and they mean different degrees of depth through that content. Right? Like one of the classic things we see now is people who get designated as woke and we pretend they're representing the progressive, sensitive new values. But then yeah. you look at some of them and you're like, Yo, you guys are behaving like primitive savages. You, you're, right? you're, <laughs> it's like you're conservative reactionaries, but you're using postmodern terminology. Right. So it's not really about the the words and the values that are being articulated. So like how deeply you understand them and how deeply you hold them and in their depth, finding the ability to make them resonant and coherent with other value systems. Now so, there's, yeah, go ahead. Well, uh, just to, just to jump in there. I, I wonder if uh, this is the right way of understanding it. I, I, you know, the podcast gets its name from Indra's net. Um, which, you know, is, is the, uh, I think Hindu metaphor of, uh, you know, what all, what all of existence is where each being is a jewel that contains within it a reflection of every other jewel. And simultaneously we are, you know, Atman, Brahman, we're, we're the net and some as well. And so, um, this, it like feels like a contradiction and from like different perspectives, you might say like, oh no, we're totally non-dual and the self doesn't exist. And, you know, the Buddhist truth of Anatta is, is what we should focus on. And then if you like zoom in, th this is where the depth comes in. I think that's like a really zoomed out perspective. If you look from the perspective of the entire universe, obviously it's just one thing, you know, how can... Uh, anything be outside of the all all is contained within it uh, but when you like zoom in closer you start to recognize that like a country has uh you know borders or boundaries that are like semi-permeable that it gets to decide what comes in and what goes out and then you zoom in and like a, a relationship or an organization is the same way or you zoom out all the way uh, maybe not all the way. I mean, my cells have boundaries too, but like as me as a person, uh, there's a truth that I am an individual that is, you know, it's paradoxical with that truth that there is no self. But if you take this like other axis, it, it makes it make sense. Am I like, am I yeah, on yeah, the right? Yeah. yeah and there's a, uh... I mean, there are some reasons, I think, for calling it depth rather than calling it height. People want to talk about higher consciousness and things like that. Yeah. That's a fine way to speak, but it sort of implies this like weird monological ladder, which often goes away yeah. from experience. Um, depth to me is an increase of the, let's say there's a volume space where like on the outside, it's a bigger apprehension. It includes more variables and more perspectives in a way that's coherent. But also the other side, on the inside, it's zoomed in more precisely to the elements of experience. 
Mm. So if we wanted to, if we want to use that word, we don't have to use it, but we'd say that one person has like a deeper appreciation of Mozart or something. If they hear more nuances in it, right? If they find more mm. granular aspects of the experience, but can also connect that to a larger, more comprehensive uh, interpretive enclosure, let's say. So it's both of those. It's bigger and smaller at the same time to get deeper. Yeah, I love that. You know, one of the things that I love about your blog generally is that it tends to provide me with better words for the things that I'm already kind of uh, thinking. Uh, and it's it's wonderful writing. You know, it's like it's funny at times and, and very provocational, like it really gets you thinking. Um, I wanted to, I think now is a good time to introduce the fact that a little bit ago I drew a tarot card. Uh, and it was the star. Uh, now, do you do you know tarot? Uh, I've moved in and out of phases of paying attention to it. Um, yeah. So I've got a, I've got a decent grasp, but I'm not I'm not one of those people who could just rattle off the standard meaning for each of the symbols. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> uh, I like to give people an opportunity if they want to give their own interpretation. But like, I'll I'll let you riff on it. The the gist of the star is uh you know it's a woman who's nude who and kneeling she's got two pitchers in her hands uh one is pouring onto the ground where there's some like sprouting uh flowers mm -hmm. and the other is pouring into like a, a small puddle or something maybe a, a pond you could say um and in the background there's uh let's see what's in the background it's yeah that's right it's you know the eight stars above her and the uh i think it's a stork in the tree in the background and so this stork is like a good representation of what what, what i associate most strongly with the star uh which is like new beginnings um it the in the major arcana the star follows the tower which is a card of like you know it's the destruction of the tower of babel it's it's you know, God punishing people for their hubris and, uh, you know, upheaval and chaos. And then the star always comes after that in the narrative, right? Because there's a rebirth mm -hmm. after the destruction. And I just, I love that for mm -hmm. the idea of, uh, you know, a, a discussion of metamodernism. Um, yeah. But it's, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Did you ever watch Arrested Development? Bits and pieces. All right. So this one character, he's looking for a new start and he gets a customized license plate, but they miss space it out. So it says anus tart instead, which is funny because <laughs> this guy's always got like this simmering repressed homosexuality about this guy. But <laughs> I love this idea of, an, of a new start after the old structure has been blasted. Yeah. Um, and also when I think of a star... <laughs> I think of, well, first of all, my mind goes to the, like, Aleister Crowley and stuff like that, and every man and every woman is a star, mm. and its use in various kinds of early modernist occultism. But what I love about the image of a star is the radiance, the overflowing, right? Mm. The overflowing of energy and information from the star and this woman pouring out of these jugs. Yeah. To me, when I try to make a, what I would call post-metaphysical description of how spiritual and religious processes operate. Uh, a lot of the way that I want to talk about it is that different systems, different subjectively active systems within an individual can be hybridized in ways that create like a, a general coherence that's more than the sum of its parts. Mm. And so I call it excess or surplus coherence. It's like it spills out of you. It contaminates mm. your whole perceptual field. It starts to show up in your actions and your relationships. So I, this idea of more than enough radiant coherence is something I associate with the star. Can you, can you uh, help me understand exactly what you mean by coherence in, in that uh, description? I think like I get the general uh, vibe of it, but um, yeah. say more. Um, resonance, harmony, different ways to try to language the same thing. But yeah, uh, let's say you're doing a very simple Buddhist meditation where they tell you to just watch your thoughts and also watch your breath. So now yeah. you've split your attention into two functions. You've got uh, a mental reflection function and you've got a physical reflection function. So they're going along, they're going along, and there might be moments, if you're lucky, where you're paying about equal amounts of attention to them and you're providing like a third point where they're coordinated to each other. Mm. And if you've got them in equal balance and it's going along well, they might suddenly seem like they blend. 
for a second, right? They, they're mm. like two singers singing just right, and it starts to harmonize. Ah. And you don't just get those two things. You also get this additional harmonic effect. Mm. It's like spills over the notes and makes you feel exalted. Wow, yeah, that is wonderful. And, and the surplus uh, harmony or the surplus coherence that arises from uh from what from uh, how do we cultivate that how what what generates that uh that ability uh yeah i think to some degree it's built into reality already like everything has some amount of this because it's hanging it's hanging together right the the system works you sit in a chair the parts of the chair are actually functioning as a team otherwise it would fall apart and you'd fall down so there's already an element of coherence into the system the question is how do you get more and how do you get in fact more than you need right if you have just Mm. the amount of sense making that you need you're just existing but if you turn out for a moment to have more than the amount of sense making you need then you look around you're like holy shit it all fits together it makes complete sense yeah right which is uh, (laughs) oh i have more than i need in that moment but what i want is more than i need because i want to be transformed i want to grow i want to change and i want to have the the very attractive high that goes with that experience as yeah. well. Thank you uh. for naming that. It's, you know, that's something that I'm uh, flirting with lately is this idea of being able to belong in truth. And um, there, there seems to be like perennial truths that are, are true no matter what about, you know, the universe. And I think that the way that you just described that, like, kind of almost hypomanic high of uh, seeing how it all fits together in a, in a really pleasant way, I think is the experience of like belonging in that. And then first, for whatever reason, because of, you know, maybe my bipolar diagnosis or, or what have you, I, uh, I tend to develop like a kind of anxiety that creates an alienation from that truth. And it's, uh, it's something that I'm struggling with a lot, and I wonder if you could provide me some therapy on that. Mm-hmm. Like, how, how do I how do I find ways to belong in truth uh, more regularly? Is it a is it a sure. meditation thing? Like, I'm practicing watching multiple things at once, or what do you think? Well, you've got to you got to do two things. One is you got to have developmental exercises, and the other is you got to stabilize uh, the organism in its world and its relationships Mm. and it's right. So like, you never know, like it might be, your problem might be insufficient potassium or you're not hydrated (laughs) enough or maybe you need to be taking these pills or whatever it is. Right. So one element is stabilizing the unit so that it can be a good anchor, a good nest, a good alchemical container for these things. Yeah. Uh, But then there's all kinds of exercises that bring different facets into coordination. And often that depends on which facets you're interested in using as like an analytic breakdown of the organism. So if we were doing the like sort of classic Vedic approach, we might think in terms of chakras. Mm. Uh, If we're doing an Ian McGilchrist approach, we might go, oh, right brain, left brain. Or Gurdjieff would be like heart, mind, and body. There's different conscious and unconscious, or my masculine and my feminine. So there's different ways for me to break myself down. Mm -hmm. Uh, Self-focus and other focus is a class one. So whichever way I'm attracted to doing that, I want to find another one, like at least two points of focus that seem to evolve two thematically distinct systems in myself. Mm. And then split my focus and try to get the focus approximately equal and try to just persist in that condition until the harmonization occurs. Like within the same framework or across two different frameworks? Mm, Give me an example of what you mean by a framework. Uh, Like all the ones you just mentioned, chakras, Mm. uh, you know, Gurdjieff's philosophy. It could be be within the same. It could be across. I think it's a matter for experimentation and not not every pairing is going to work for everybody at every time. Mm. I think a lot of it is the general buildup of what I would call metacognitive capacity, right? The ability to analyze yourself as being these parts and to perform operations on these parts. In addition to generating those surpluses, it builds up your ability to be like uh, a self that's outside of yourself, which is the maybe the subjective correlate of metamodern cultural and philosophical affairs is like a metamodern or a meta self of some kind, mm. a self that can make itself do things and analyze itself as if from the outside ah. while still being itself. Yeah, the observer. But if you if you use these this uh, way of thinking, you can kind of retro-engineer all kinds of previous practices, right? So 
my argument would be if we've got a decent way of describing the functional mechanism of spiritual practice, then it describes why all the other traditional spiritual practices work, right? They're just different ways of doing the same thing. Like I was saying, the Buddhist meditation, um, you might say, like, you say to somebody, oh, you've got a problem, you should go on a pilgrimage to the holy mountain, and you're going to have to crawl there, and the whole time you're going to have to chant the name of St. Francis or whatever, right? So yeah. you're like, hmm, this is a very interesting thing. <laughs> you're undergoing a physical effort, an unusual physical effort. Mm. You're also undergoing an unusual mental and emotional effort, mm. and you're doing it over a period of time, so you have the opportunity for these efforts to kind of blend together and provide you with a sense of, of excess. Yeah. Right. So it I guess what what kind of like comes out of all of this analysis is a a recipe for I don't know it's it kind of reminds me of like chaos magic or something where you get like the the bare bones recipe of what constitutes spiritual work and then you can kind of like I I would think like you would want to apply it on a person to person basis, like what, what resonates for me uh, with regard to how I practice spiritually may be very different from what resonates with you. And it's, Mm -hmm. I mean, to develop this like metacognitive, you know, person (laughs) that controls the me, uh, it, it kind of, it seems like it would be necessary to not outsource that to a structured, you know, religious organization or something like that you have to like figure out what you vibe with for yourself is 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 that uh is that yeah i think in general that's true but we have to make allowances for there being different types of people like uh, Mm. some people are mystically and esoterically or shamanically inclined and for those people my hope is they get a clearer idea of what the basic principles are so that they can adapt them to their circumstances and be like ongoing generators of appropriate inner practices. Yeah. Now, a lot of people don't fall into that category. Yeah. And what they need is, is a uh, reliable kind of consultant to offer them something that might apply to their circumstance. And if they come back and it didn't work, offer them a different one. Mm. Uh, And some people might be able to get together with others who are of a similar type and all sort of do the same practice, given that there's going to be sneaky variations within that practice anyway. Yeah. Any two, any, if you two, two people, I used to see this in uh, uh, TM, personal meditation communities. You're like, people are going to sit down <laughs> and follow the exact instruction, right? You're like, just sit here, and for this amount of time, you're going to do this with a mantra. And then you talk to them later, and they did completely different things. <laughs> but the description of what they did is the same. Yeah. Like, okay, we need to have much more granular evaluations of what's <laughs> going on here because <laughs> – so who's who's your audience in this? Are you like are you trying to reach the the you know which of those groups of people mm-hmm. are you are you interested in uh I've got two audiences in mind and one audience a larger and a smaller I've got like a mesoteric and an esoteric audience. I'm not looking for an exoteric audience, let's say. Okay. Um my my general audience, my public service if you will is to these overlapping networks and communities of people who uh, integral metamodern game B Bildung uh, regenerative movements, certain kinds of new spiritual movements. There's a mm-hmm. lot of these um, philosophies and new culture movements, and some of them are new spiritual movements that have emerged over history, but especially in the last few decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a common sensibility. They have a common goal. They all recognize the need for like transdisciplinary growth and new ways of relating and not leaving any major dimensions of ourselves out and appreciating the meta crisis that we're in all of those people as a, an emergent community, Mm -hmm. there's lots of them. There's more of them every day. They don't necessarily go gel together like a standard community, but uh, they're out there and I want to encourage them. I want to help them. That's who I deal with mostly. Mm. But then Personally, yeah. <laughs> what I'm really interested in is a smaller subset of those people um, that are shamans, which is we call them shamanoids in the sense that Ooh. they have the the 
the organic set of capacities and inclinations that in an ancient society might have got you singled out for shamanic training or witch priestess shaming or something, right? We don't have that training now. We still have people with those inclinations and they end up being therapists or philosophers or artists, or they end up in a mental institution or just living a regular life feeling totally excluded because nobody needs them for the thing they're focused on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So those people... I especially want to reach those people. I want them to feel recognized and I want to invite a new conversation around that type of person and the need for them and the possibility that they can recognize each other and co-train each other um, for the planetary circumstances mm. we find ourselves in. Wonderful. Wow. Yeah. That's well, that's the Creek Masons. I mean, so, you know, some background on our community is like, it's a, it's mainly a discord server. Um, and we do like writing and, and, you know, collaborative things like that, where it's a community of what I like to call liminal trickster mystics. So we're, um, you know, we're liminal uh, trickster mystics. I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily want to like take up a bunch of your podcast describing, uh, what we are, uh, but, um, the, the thing that I want to highlight is like someone just said, you know, two days ago that, uh, while we wouldn't necessarily be considered mystics it's there's this liminal mysticism that each of us uh contains within us that like in a different culture in a different time uh we might have been singled out to be like shaman type people you know Mm -hmm. but like right now we're all very grounded in kind of like the earth realm stuff right like we've got families and uh it's kind of like a householder you know uh, demi-witch kind of vibe, right? Like you, you've still got to know your social security number and also know that you have Buddha nature. Like that's, that's what everyone's striving toward. Um, so that like, I just feel uh, super resonant with what you're describing. And I'm wondering what advice you might have for a community that's trying to kind of like, I don't know. I, I think of the hermitage that shamans, you know, occupy, right? Like the sort of the outskirts of civilization, like the crazy guy in the hut that you go trip with and, you know, learn lessons from or whatever. Like that feels like a liminal position. Um, And it also feels like maybe a lonely position. And this, this like brings back the, um, the tension between alienation and belonging. Like, I'm wondering how, uh, you know, the sort of like hermit archetyped person can experience belonging in a life where they're kind of called Mm -hmm. to be more on the outside. And like, is it belonging among other sort of outsiders or how do we like, how do we reify that liminal place? Sure. It's a mixture. I think people, there's a certain loneliness to being um, halfway outside the systems that you're embedded in, that these people always encounter. And that loneliness can be painful, but it's also an opportunity to find other forms of like existential connection, right? So some of our ancestors found they could, that God could be their friend, something like that, right? (laughs) So that's one of it is it Mm. it gives you the opportunity to find a belonging outside of the normal belonging options. It also gives you the opportunity at the edges of the village to find belonging in the ecosystem. And that's very important Mm. because even if we're doing it in society and in the noosphere and in our families and our lives and our jobs, um, the ancient normal way, the hundreds of thousands of years way, rather than just the last couple thousand years way, is to do all this stuff in nature. Mm. Right. So that's a big piece. It shouldn't be overlooked the degree to which uh, the creek itself is in our peer group, let's say. Uh, so then given that there's two types of people we have to get along with one is find the other people like yourself uh, and find them in as many variations as possible so that you have a sense of that variation and a sense of the scale of these people Mm. but also you can find the ones that particularly resonate with you and some of those are people you meet some of those are famous people some of those are legendary figures or authors or whatever Mm -hmm. you come across them And, and then the other part the last part is you're still part of the village, right? And this is one of the things, there's been a break, I would say, metaphorically speaking, a break between the shamans and the villagers. Uh, On the villager side, 
they have to be taught to recognize and value and listen to the input from the shamans yeah. and the witches because that's essential to making your civilization function properly, especially in weird times. And we're in a collective weird we are, time yeah. now, so it's extra important. So that's on the villagers. They have to develop that. They have to be helped to develop that. But on the shaman side, on the esoteric side, what we're doing is for the well-being of the village. The shaman is part of the collective body of the village, let's say. Mm. So it's not enough to be like, oh, we're going to be the tantric magicians in the woods or <laughs> fuck those sheeple. They don't get it. Yeah. We're going to be with our own kind. We're, we're here to be of service. Our hearts are available uh, in love for other beings. Wow. And we're part of a an evolved and genetically conserved role as part of like a collective intelligence that is human culture. So we have a job to do and keeping that in mind and constantly purifying and maintaining good relations with the village is essential. Mm. And sometimes that means provoking them. Sometimes that means letting them do a whole bunch of shit that you personally think is a terrible idea. <laughs> uh, some of that means finding some of the ones you can be friends with and get along with. There's a lot of options. to it. there's a whole art to doing that well, but we do have to think of ourselves as maybe even the privileged inspectors of the dynamics of how belonging operate because the rest of the villagers feel like they already belong even if deep down they feel like they don't belong right and they're going along doing the regular things until the day they kill themselves <laughs> uh, but we are hyper aware of the belongingness problem so we are yeah. alert to try to figure out the mechanics of the belonging which everybody needs uh, so we should be constantly experimenting, looking for ways to make ourselves feel like we belong, but without losing, uh, I want to say, even the savagery of our critique about what the normal system Ooh. is doing around us. Because that's part of our job, too, is to figure out where the customs are fucking up relative yeah. to human nature and ecology and energy. Wow, yes. The savagery of our critique. Well, you are just you're just a delight to talk to. What a what a wizard with words. That's so fun. Uh, mm, thank you. Yeah. I so I think that the natural transition from here is into the like the article that caused me to reach out to you for a podcast in the first place. Um this idea of a meta modern business bureau. And, um, you know, you go through a bunch of different examples of how, you know, organizations of like mystical people or, or whoever have like been able to find subsistence in, in, you know, history. Um, I wonder if you could, it, would it, would it be appropriate to get like a quick, like breakdown of, of your, uh, sure. your thoughts in that article? Um, yeah, I'll try to focus in on what that was because since the article came out, a lot of people have been approaching me. Um, mm. A lot of them want to add, what about this? And what about this? And could I be involved somehow? And so my thinking has expanded to include a bunch of things that aren't in the article. Perfect. It might be a future article at some point. Yeah, great. Uh, but I've held a bunch of meetings on the subject. But the article was, I mean, it comes out of this feeling of care that I have for these larger extended communities. And mm. I see a lot of people dealing with trying to deal on their own with their relationship to wealth and abundance and making money and participating in the system. And they're trying to, you know, be a better friend to abundance and open their solar plexus and deal with inherited intergenerational trauma yeah. around money. And that's all good stuff. I do that stuff too. Yeah. But it's not enough. Mm. And then I see people talking about Bitcoin and new tools that we can yeah. use. That's good. And that's not enough. And then I see people who are saying, really, the whole thing has to be changed, man. Like, there should be no money or yeah. modern monetary theory has to come in or all work should be paid or yeah. you're like, these are great. You're probably right, but that's not going to be implemented anytime soon. <laughs> so it doesn't help me take care for the people who are in real precarity at the moment. Mm. And I see a lot of these people, I'm in this category myself, but I'm looking at people who I think are 
uh, smartest, most capable, most transdisciplinary people who are most aware of the like substructure of the crises we're in as a species, who are constantly generating stuff, cultural artifacts, practices, therapies, all these kinds of things. Mm. And a lot of them are barely have enough to eat. Yeah. A lot of them could not afford a family, could not afford to reproduce, certainly couldn't do what I hope we get to the point of doing, which is provide this shit for free. Yeah. Right. I, I do courses. I run retreats. They have to pay me to get there. Fantastic. Okay. Mm. So I'm benefiting from this system to some degree, but I really should be paying them to come. I really should be paying them to take the course. Uh, I made a joke on a podcast last week. Nobody would buy the Book of Mormon, right? (laughs) Like if you want your message to get out, you've got to provide it for free. Mm. You've got to lower the barrier to entry if you want your types of cognitive patterns to make a bigger impact in the world. Mm. So how do we do that? Um, It requires us to upgrade the way we're thinking about money and economics and material flows in our networks. And that's got several features. So in the article, I just look at a couple of the features. One feature is we need to start mapping um, the way finances are moving through the field at the moment, right? There's a lot of discussion in the groups I'm in anyway. naming the field and having a conversation Mm -hmm. about the way we have a conversation and how do we turn self-awareness into a collective phenomenon. Fantastic. But we can also do that quantitatively. We can also do that with money. And Mm. we often don't because there's social and emotional anxieties around money conversations a lot of the time. Yeah. So I make a list of here's like the half a dozen ways that most people who are involved in this stuff are getting money. Uh, And there's basic ones, right? You're either a content creator or you're getting funding or you've got another job and you're doing this stuff right. on the side or you've got a rich friend or right there's only a couple options yeah. there's probably a few more than i included but my list was pretty comprehensive so that's the first step is map what we're doing and what the current options are how, how is money moving through these networks um the next thing is what are alternative methods mm. my example of an alternative method is the monastic style yeah. now not all monasteries did it this way but some of them did and it was to provide like an anti-fragile good or service to the extended community and use the money to pay for food shelter and training for the esoteric people who are working on your cultural message and then also be able to export that message to other people for free right and that's very much like integral theory or you know, I don't know if you know Greg Enrique's Utah model, but it's it's stacked. We're like stacked beings. We've got our animal nature and our like subconscious mind yeah. and our kind of like like so if we could stack it up where you're like making the money here and then you've got your cultural and spiritual stuff up here, rather than trying to get the money by selling your insights and best mm. capacities and culture to other people. Right. And that's what we're doing at the moment. That's what I'm doing. It's not ideal to be charging people to access their peers and their community yeah. and their necessary exercises and that shit. So um, the monks found a way around that. And if we were, instead of getting together and trying to sell each other our artifacts and best stuff, if we were all just producing money somehow and using the money to make this stuff available, that would be a slightly different approach. Now, some of us are, but in general, that's not the approach we're taking. So I was looking at what would it take to do more of that, right? What would it take for there to be a large number of small businesses operating in this space where each one could allow people to be more functional members of this space and create a general increase of the empowerment of these networks? Right. Like the way I said it at a meeting the other day was, what would it take to double the amount of wealth in the liminal web in the next five years? Something like that. Let's do it. Um, so you've got to get people together. They've got it. You, you need somebody. You need this is the idea of the bureau, or some people have called it a social innovation guild, or liminal consultants, or mm. right, meta financial advice. Different ways to think about it. These people have ideally high integrity, high attunement to the kinds of people who are in these networks, and high awareness of the practicalities of operating financially in the world Mm. we currently live in. And they help other people. They make it easier for you to find your crew, find your team of people who have this kind of sensibility and cognition, hopefully in your local area, Mm -hmm. 
to identify a need that your community is already willing to pay for, to work with them so it's a fun thing because you're working with the right people, to produce that service, but to arrange it such that nobody's putting too much time into this. Yeah. Everybody's doing it a couple days a week or a few hours a day because you want your free time available to be working on the projects that you know are important and which I think are important to the world. And the goal is not to embody the future business or find your vocation. Mm. It's just to make money. Yeah. Uh, and the money, then you take the money and you use the money for the virtues. Now you take, this is not in the article, but some of that money flows back to that central bureau that does the organizing. So it gets paid yep. and then it can also arrange investment to come into these businesses, or if they're doing well, sell these businesses to someone mm. else. And down the road, if this is successful, um, make a kind of political alliance between these businesses so they can exert a concerted political and lobbying sway. Yeah. So there's a lot of features, a lot of aspects wow. to it, but that's sort of the general idea of the Bureau. And then the only other thing in the article was what I called Limicoin, because there's supposed to be an event in March called Limicon. So I, I just took the idea and called it Limicoin, which is let's have meetings about money. Mm. Let's have online and in-person gatherings at the scale of Respond, of Emerge, of whatever it is. Let's get these people together in person and let's have the focus be about how does money work? How do we relate to it? How do we enrich ourselves? Rather than just what is wisdom or what's the nature of the new emergence? <laughs> these are great questions, yeah. but uh, let's, let's reinforce each other at the same yeah. time. Let's make ourselves more powerful in the world. And that means more money flowing through us. Yes. You know, uh, I think that we're kind of programmed, we're indoctrinated to uh, view talking about money as something taboo. And I think that it, it doesn't serve our interests. Um, and then this, this concept of like separating the tiers of Maslow's pyramid uh, into, you know, different pursuits so that you're like taking care of the survival needs separately from how you're taking care of your like spiritual and self-actualization and like cultural influence needs. <laughs> I love that. I'm so excited by it. Um, yeah. Have you ever heard this joke that um, there, like there is a, a secret society that controls the world and it's the McKinsey consultancy group. No, I haven't heard it, but it resonates. Yeah. It's <laughs> that's what this is giving like McKinsey. I mean, these like MBAs from Stanford and Harvard and stuff uh, go in there and they're very bright people. And they uh, really like direct the flow of capitalism through consulting for major companies. They like, they, uh, spread um, a theory of the correct way to do business through uh, like implanting these consultants, you know, embedding exactly. them within exactly. these businesses. And this feels very so similar. We should be asking ourselves what a meta McKinsey looks like, mm. right? What does it need to do for us? Who would have to be in it? That kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, what sorts of like, yes, legions of small businesses, that's one thing and enough savvy to, uh, spin them up quickly and then also pull them down if they're not working and learn from the experimentation, but also like what's liminal impact investing, right? Mm. How do we take that to the next level? Um, how do we treat these communities as if they are themselves an economy? How do we, right? There's a lot of different approaches. And so somebody has to sort of bring the intelligence and the wisdom that's specific to this field into yeah. play. And that's partly systems. How do they work? How do you set them up? How do you govern yourself? It's partly how does it interface with the broader social systems and legalities. And it's partly internal. Like, how should we, how could we be thinking and feeling about this stuff that gives us a little bit more empowerment? Yeah. And uh, another huge piece of this for me is uh, contact with the world. Right. So one of the dangers when you retreat into spiritual exercise or self-developmental community or artistic pursuits and things yeah. like that is you only deal with other people who are like that. You don't see all the other people in your community that make it a real mm. community. But if you are providing a carpet cleaner service, <laughs> right. right, you're dealing with all kinds of different people. You've got skin in the game, but you've also got direct contact with a wider swath of your fellow citizens. And so when it comes back to that belonging question, part of what it takes to belong is to actually encounter the people and the realities of the community you live in. Mm. We're so set up now to not have yeah. to, right? You don't have to 
even hear news that goes to people you aren't interested in, right? You Everything can be filtered to you through the right. algorithm. You can stay home for most things, go out and be with your friends, but you don't have to deal with all the rest of the types that actually form the tribe. And you need those people in order to get the depth of belonging that mm. we cry out for. Uh, just uh, one second. My dog is going crazy. I'll be right back. Oh, <laughs> I'm on a podcast with a completely different person. <laughs> That's so funny. So you, you were not wearing Bono glasses and a cowboy hat uh, when I left the room. <laughs> uh, the shaman is classically a shapeshifter. <laughs> Plus, you got to do something when the host leaves the room. That's wonderful. I love that. Oh. Um. Um, okay, let's dive back in. Uh, so the star, right? We've got we've got this like mm-hmm. this overflowing amount of energy that is, uh, I guess, like precipitated by a collapse. It follows the tower. It it, it uh, sort of naturally occurs after. And I think that um, you know I've been reading a little bit of uh, I think the book is called Breaking Together by Jem Bendel. Um, but I'm, I'm like, I'm just in the beginning stages of it, but he makes a really compelling case that like, we're, we're mid collapse. It's begun. It, the future is here. It's just unevenly applied. And, um, so when it comes to like distributing our, uh, energy, you know, like pouring a little bit into the pond and a little bit, uh, you know, off to the side to nourish the flowers, which can sometimes feel like, you're wasting the water. It's not going where it's supposed to, but really it's like actually bringing these sprouts to life. Um, you know, with that framing, I want to figure out how we, the Creek Masons can contribute to this, uh, vision that you have. Um, because, you know, uh, my instinct or maybe my temptation or, or something like that, my, my urge is to think like, Oh, I'll I'll hang tight and I'll wait for these business savvy people to you know come visit me and tell me how to like live my life and then everything will be fine. But that feels a little bit like waiting for the second coming or something. And I wanna I wanna um, act. I wanna I wanna take an active role and in, in, uh, exercise my agency and self determination and figure out how I can like manifest this reality right now um on the one hand right the kinds of things i just laid out are in early stages Mm -hmm. so the two main things to do at the moment are uh, move the memes around (laughs) put these ideas in people's heads make sure there's more explicit discussion about money and currency and financing among what we think are the best people um and also um, start projecting a list of the people who would be on the essential council in that regard. Like one of the things we all have to do right now is figure out who who we think has the ability and the integrity and that we know and that we would trust to be able to do something right. like that. So that's on one side. But there's some other questions. Uh, Jem Bendel, obviously thinking goes to collapse. We started a thing. I'm in Ontario, so we started a thing. Uh, a couple of years ago called Ontario Depth Adaptation, which is a play on deep adaptation. Mm. Um, uh, Because we need to be building material structures in our communities. And I didn't notice this. I moved out to Ontario um, and then COVID came. And as a Canadian in my lifetime, the border has never Mm. been closed with the United States. And the border between the provinces has never been Mm. closed. And most of my community is digital and internationally distributed. So suddenly here I am in a particular biogeographical region and these are my only options. And the next one, you know, you never know when a pandemic is going to come and the border shuts for 10 years or 20 years. We don't Mm -hmm. know. So we have to be prepared to set up bioregional hubs that are somehow able to thrive whether the system holds together and whether it doesn't. Uh, And also have like a sociological and spiritual element and also a physical and material survival component. 
So how do we how do we do something that's profitable? How do we invest in projects? How do we set up networks that are good for us right now and also good if one of the many kind of mass destabilizations yeah. comes, knowing that we don't know which one it might be or when it might come. Right. <laughs> so for me, some of the immediate thing, you know, like maybe we all need ham radios. Maybe we mm. need to be able to spin up a high potency furnace when necessary. Mm. Uh, maybe we need to start mapping where the other people who have this shared sensibility are geographically located. Like, uh, you know, a few people locally, yeah. but like, really, of the people whose houses you would be willing to stay at or have stay at your house, where are they? Where are they in the next mm-hmm. town? Where are they in the next district? Whatever that is. So that kind of mapping is a huge feature. Uh, and when it comes to the the social vibe, for me, some of this comes around to what we could do to generate a religious type condition in mm. the world. Because the another part of thinking in terms of that integration to surplus thing, which for the individual is these different intelligence systems mm-hmm. in us, collectively, it's something else. It's like different classes of people and different genres of cultural activity coming together to create a numinous excess condition of meaningfulness between Mm. us that we might call religion. Uh, And that spirit is necessary to create the fabric that creates belonging, that gives us the trust that will hold together when there's disruption, but also gives us the sense of sacred teamwork that allows us to instantiate businesses Mm. and things like that. Gives us the extra shared energy and momentum to mobilize on new kinds of things and set up new dynamic, meaning-rich, trust-type relationships. So those are sort of three areas I would go. Like One is how do we face collapse in the Jim Bendel sense? One is like, how do we create the kinds of cultures we need, whether there's collapse yeah. or not? And then there are a few elements of the uh, Metamodern Business Bureau that we can act on right mm. now. Uh, I want to act on it sooner. At the same time, I don't want to act on it at all, which is like, I'm not, this is not my specialty. I'm not yeah. a money guy. <laughs> I want to get back to talking about non-duality. Uh, but <laughs> at the moment, a lot of people are asking me to go further in this conversation, so I'm trying to do that. It's not clear to me what all the immediate practical steps are other than convening discussions, moving the memes around, and promoting some options in our minds so we can start thinking mm-hmm. about this more. Clearly. It feels like an example of excess coherence, where it it's mm-hmm. sort of arisen out of you and uh, it's got a lot of people feeling coherent with it. You know what I mean? It's very exciting. Uh, it, it, I think if other, if the other people that are reaching out to you feel the same way I do, there's kind of a buzzy, you know, vibration. Like I, I'm almost, I wouldn't say shivering, but there's like a tension in my body that I feel, you know, uh, very energized by. It's, uh, yeah, I feel that too. I feel an excitement. I feel like the field wants me to do this. Um, There's an interesting thing about looking at the world and being so disappointed so many times by idealistic projects and just noticing that the way change happens is uh, organized teams of people with money get what they want. (laughs) And no one else does. Oh, okay. So if we want to make the world a better place, then we need to be doing (laughs) something like that. (laughs) And then that requires that we change our sensibility, change our emotions a little bit, because the the question of money and wanting it and wanting more of it is deeply ambiguous for a lot of people in these networks. Uh, Some people don't want to have anything to do with it. Once upon a time, I was Mm. like that. Some people are like, yes, okay, I understand it has a role, but really, shouldn't we be doing less? This is one of their, shouldn't we be doing fewer things, using less energy, moving less money around, having less impact Mm. on the ecosystem? And there's there's valid reasons for feeling Mm. that way, but maybe we need to be going, how do we make more nature? How do we make more energy? How do we make more money? How do we intensify this? But what needs to happen in us to feel like with integrity, and given our appreciation of the global yeah. situation, that it's legit for us to want more and for want to want the people we like to have mm. more. Yeah, right. Which, I mean, is everyone, right? Like, when it comes down to it, may the merit mm-hmm. of our projects benefit all beings. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I am so aligned with this. Um, 
I think this is a this this feels like a good place. I think you know this this has been just such a wonderful conversation. I feel like I've just been saying I feel energized. Uh, talking to you is is just a wonderful. It's it, everything and more that I could have expected uh, from reading your blog, uh, which. Uh, you know, maybe you want to uh, say where people can find you. I'm sure people will want to. Yeah, if you go to laymanpascal.substack or, or zagic.substack is a new one I've got. I've got a couple, but Layman Pascal is the simplest one to find. It's just got my name right yeah. in it. And, and the link will, um, of course, be in the yeah. show notes and all that good stuff. Yeah, fantastic. Otherwise, I do the uh, Integral Stage podcast. That's a YouTube channel or audio podcasts, wherever you want to find those. And I'm all over different kinds of social media, but I'm very picky. I exclude a lot of them, and I like to show up in different places under slightly different names sometimes. But those are a couple places you can yeah, definitely find me. I love that, Trickster. <laughs> uh, thank you so much uh, for, for joining and becoming a node in the net. Thank you. I'm fantastic. Happy to be a node and uh, um, intrigued to learn more at some point about the Creek yeah. Masons. And uh, yeah, let's do another one of these discussions before too long. I have a feeling that there's a lot of niches we could dive into. I agree. I, I don't want to let the conversation end here. If, if there's too much alignment for for it to you know dissipate. That would be a shame. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>